ready for the end of the world. This is Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is Your Community Spirit coming at you live and partially local here at Your Community Radio, WDBX 91.1 FM. And let's see how our non-local portion of broadcast is doing today. Can you hear us, Or? So, Or, we can hear you, but <laughs> we hear you in the background. Can you hear us? I think we may have lost Or. All right, we will go back to music for one more minute, and we'll see if we can get Orr on the line. If not, we will go ahead with the news. So are you still not hearing anything? How about now? Can you hear us now? <laughs> it's like one of those commercials. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, we can hear you. Can you hear us? All right, we will get back to the music then. I believe we have Orr with us in the studio now. Yeah, um, I think I'm here. <laughs> At least virtually, anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm reading over all this news here, and I'm trying to find something that's not depressing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Let's read the depressing stuff, and then we can read how humans can still save the day. Yeah. So, um... As most people are aware of, the big issue right now is the Keystone XL tar sands. Um, there's tons of protests all over the place, and, um, well, I think one of the part, one of the main things is they've opened it up for public comment now, right? So that means they're actually going forward with it or trying to? Yeah, they're trying to. They, they've said, uh, here's all our documents. This is what we think is a good idea. Now, what do you think? And they apparently think that that Keystone XL will have no impact on the environment. That's the, <laughs> that's their astute assessment of the situation. I mean, the U.S. State Department just released their final environmental impact statement that said that the pipeline will add as much carbon pollution as. 5.7 million cars a year. Yeah. So, and I mean, for me, the amazing thing is, is there's all these people out protesting this when it's this cold. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty amazing. Uh-huh. We had people here, right here in Carbondale, too, who did a march, a little vigil in March. Uh, got a couple dozen people, I think, to, and it was short, mean, short notice, too. They're like, oh, okay, Friday. Uh, here's this document, and then on Monday, 
All these people go out in the cold to protest. I mean, literally, I mean, they, they estimate about 40,000 people braved the sub-zero temperatures in Washington, D.C. Um, what do you call it? Last February. And then there was events in 50 states this past September. And then, of course, there's a bunch of it recently where people have been coming out. And, of course, there's a lot less people as well. In case you didn't know, it's cold. Yeah. So, what do you think is the most, the biggest issue with the pipeline? Why are people so adamantly against it? Why have been people protesting against it since 2011, August? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, in August 2011, 1,200 people were arrested in front of the White House in sit-ins over this issue. And so, I mean, it's been an issue, and people have been stepping up to say no to it for years. Yeah. But why do you think that is? Well, I think there's probably a few reasons. Two of the big ones that come to mind are, one is that a lot of people, um, it might actually be going through their area, so they're concerned about their own area getting polluted. And another big one is that it's such a symbolic, uh, I mean, both symbolic and practical uh item for the climate, you know, this giant tar sands operation, all of these these millions of, uh, just millions of cars worth of, of, of pollution going up into the air each year with just one project, you know, it, it's one project that they can use as symbolic of all of the projects of a similar nature. Did you hear about last Sunday's tens of thousands of tons of toxic coal ash? The big spill. No, I didn't hear about it until I, until Thursday night when I started actively seeking out environmental news. Yeah, I hadn't either. I mean, the um, Associated Press does report that um, an Associated Press reporter canoed downstream of the spill at the Dan River steam station and saw great sludge several inches deep coating the riverbank for more than two miles. Yeah. Um, the dam has uh, crested overnight, leaving a distinctive gray line that contrasts with, of course, the brown bank. Looks like a dirty ring around a bathtub. Yeah, it really does. I saw some of the, there was a brief video, too. Uh, it's in the newsletter if you sign up for our newsletter. But, uh, yeah, it, it looks like it's just this gray sludge along the edge of the river. It does look like it's some sort of dirty bathwater or something. And it's a whole river now that is, they don't know how to clean it up. Now, before the spill, uh, Duke Energy had insisted that its coal, ash, dump sites pose no environmental threats. Hmm. Now, of course, the company is trying to figure out how to uh, plug the big hole in the pipeline that allows the coal residue to flood out the holding ponds and into the river. I mean, literally, this almost a million, uh, let's see, yeah, 992 thousand tons of ash um, is in the pond and about 10% of that spilled out and they're trying to figure out a way to stop the leak and the, the main issue is this coal ash spill has utterly ruined the river I mean they're looking at tens of thousands of tons 
of toxic coal ash. Yeah. And this is from a coal plant that's already closed. So they just have this big lake of poison sitting there. Yeah. Just think what the ones that are still open are doing. So. Yeah. So they, they may have been inaccurate in their environmental assessment that said it posed no environmental threat. Seems to have destroyed an entire river now. That's some food for thought to consider, though, as we consider these fossil fuel projects. So do we have anything good to talk about? Oh, well, this one, this one I've heard described as a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Uh, <laughs> federal climate hubs will help farmers adapt. With global warming changing growing seasons and ranges, and with droughts and storms picking up in intensity, the men and women who produce America's food could use some scientifically sound advice for coping with climate change. And that's just what's planned for new federal climate hubs. Uh, they're going to be at, uh, let's see, there's going to be one in Iowa is going to be the nearest one. We're going to have one in Iowa, Oregon, California, New Hampshire, Oklahoma. There's basically just a handful of these hubs where they will try to coordinate regional adaptations to climate change. Like tell farmers and other people how to adapt their growing cycles and their, their work cycles in order to cope with climate change. I mean, the good news is we do have to learn to adapt because it, it seems to be happening and we're not doing enough about it. The, the bad news is <laughs> instead of funding more action on climate change, they're just like, oh, we'll let Keystone go through and we'll just create some climate centers. It'll be fine. I think it's really interesting that farmers overwhelmingly are aware that the climate is changing, but polls show that many of them are still c convinced that it's not humans that are responsible. Yeah. Well, that's just the power of the media right there, because, you know, farmers farmers are smart. You know, they analyze their, their crop patterns and such. They are out there in the fields. They see the changes. It's just... If, if they see on TV, on the radio, and on even, you know, some universities telling them that it's not directly human-related, then they may reinterpret what they're seeing. But at least, you know, since they're out there with, working with the fields, they know that it's happening. Yeah. All right. In other happy news, um... I don't know how you pronounce. Where is this country? Uh, Tunisia. This is this is in this is where they kicked off the Arab Spring. Let's see. Yeah, I'm an American. I honestly don't remember exactly where Tunisia is. I remember generally, but <laughs> um, Tunisia, the country that kicked off the Arab Spring in 2010, has now finalized a new constitution. It ensures gender equality and rejects Sharia law. And it does another awesome thing that only two nations before have done. It commits the country to contribute to the protection of the climate for future generations. Responding to climate change explains, before today, only Ecuador and the Dominican Republic have included climate change in their constitutions. That's intense. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, I mean. You know, we've got nothing in our constitution about anything related to the environment. And Tunisia's got something about the climate now. 
I mean, they, they literally have not only given it their citizens the right to ask their government to deal with climate change because it's in their constitution, but it has also elevated the concept of climate change to one of international law. Yeah. I mean, basically, it could open the doors for one country to sue another on climate change. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, it could eventually allow bodies like the International Court of Justice to act on complaints that one country is causing harm to another by not curbing its emissions. That's, I think that's, you know, I feel like there should be more of that because countries, you know, countries emit these, these, uh, these fossil fuels, fumes into the air. And it's all, uh, all that CO2, methane, other greenhouse gases, and it affects everyone. So it's kind of unfair if one country is just spewing out all that, <laughs> and all the countries are being responsible and not doing it. That's kind of unfair right there. Yeah. And one more cool thing. Their constitution also says, quote, states shall provide the necessary means to eliminate environmental pollution, end quote. Now, that's what I call a post-revolutionary state. <laughs> yeah. Can you yeah, imagine if we... Well you imagine if in the U.S. if we tried to have a constitutional amendment putting something like that in there? <laughs> <laughs> They'd go We'd crazy. have to have a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> I think we would. Speaking right. of which, here's another, one last news story before we get to the happenings. Uh, yeah. It's a book. How about get rid of the doom and gloom? Go for it. Yeah. Future Near Perfect, How Humans Can Save the Day by 2050. Yeah! Yeah, we can do it. This is the spirit I like, you know. we got to talk about the bad stuff, but then we've got to keep a good spirit. Scientists and environmentalists often feel obligated to hawk on the apocalypse, but British environmentalist Jonathan Porritt is in the optimism business. He's the founding director of Forum for the Future, a nonprofit dedicated to the gospel of sustainable futures. I hear good news every day, he says. He says, one which newspapers he's reading. I'd like to read more of that good news. But he seems to mean it, so... Yeah. So he creates... This this novel is an imaginary memoir written in the year 2050 by Alex McKay, a teacher in the UK. So it's called The World We Made. That's the name of the novel. It looks back at our current century from the midway point. And uh, it describes a... a, a an optimistic world where, let's see, we have almost completely powered by renewable energy, the whole world, uh, in 2050. Global population that's stabilized around 9 billion. Food systems based on community use and closed loop systems. Inefficiency in water management is all but eliminated thanks to drip irrigation and rainwater capture. And comprehensive preventative health care with a side of nanotechnology. And it's got worldwide sharing economies too. And even personal jetpacks. <laughs> They're biofueled and carbon neutral, we can only assume. Uh, so yeah, that sounds like a good future to work towards. I mean, and he's, uh, you know, the future's not perfect in the novel. He, there's not time to reverse climate change completely, so the sea levels still rise by 2050. Weather patterns are still a little crazy. But instead of focusing on the negative, it po- focuses on the positive. And he tries to make it, I haven't read it yet, so I don't know how realistic it is, but he tries to make it realistic, you know. A future that we could achieve if we act now. Act now while supplies last. Did you know that today is wave all your fingers at your neighbor's day? (laughs) 
No, I didn't. It says all your fingers, not just that one particular finger. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and not like the man and a man and kind of fingers, I don't think. It's actually, it doesn't say, actually, it doesn't say it. Do you do jazz hands or do you <laughs> put your fingers by your head and go man and a man and? Yeah, you could twinkle. It says wave all your fingers at your neighbor's day. Yeah. All right, we also have coming up Boy Scouts Day on Saturday. It's laughing. I like the laugh, laugh and get rich day. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, you know, being a comedy writer, you could laugh and get rich at that, hopefully. It's just like, can you imagine if every time you laugh, like, you know, a dollar bill comes out your ear or something? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good way to make a living. Sunday is National Stop Bullying Day. Yeah. It's also the anniversary of the Beatles' appearance on that Sullivan show. That's pretty exciting. Got Be Electrific Day. Not sure what that one's all about. National Shut-In Visitation Day. So if you have any friends who are shut-ins or you know people who are working on their thesis and need some visitors, you can go ahead and visit them next week on Tuesday. Wednesday is... Darwin Day, or Charles Darwin's birthday, the theory of natural selection, and the anniversary of the NAACP. Yes. Oh, that actually mentions, I'll, yeah, uh, there's a happening that I didn't put in the list of happenings. It's coming up at SIU. It's Darwin Week. In honor of his birthday, they're having some Darwin-related events. I'll mention Not that. the Darwin Awards, I hope. <laughs> no, hopefully not. I guess we'll see how people fare on the ice this week and see if we get any Darwin Awards. That's, it's funny. Thursday is Get a Different Name Day. Yeah. But it's also Madly in Love with Me Day. <laughs> but I don't know. If you're madly in love with me, would you want to get a different name? Well, maybe you love yourself so much you get a new name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like kind of contradictory. Yeah. So, in Happenings... Tonight is the Women's Center Tasty Annual Fundraiser, their Taste of Chocolate. This year's event will feature a wonderful wonderland of winter complete with delicious chocolate treats from local vendors. It's tonight, 6 to 10 p.m. at the Carbondale Civic Center at downtown. Women's Center uses this event to raise money to continue their mission to end domestic violence and sexual assault in Southern Illinois. Yeah. For more information, call Sandra, 549-4807, extension 228, or you should just show up and get some chocolate. Although, I don't know, they might be sold out on tickets. They have been in the past. Yeah. It's delicious chocolate for a wonderful cause. Also coming up tonight, we have open mic nights. That's from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. over at Guy House. You know, I went to that last week. I hadn't been in a little while, and it was really fun. People get up and they do poetry or music. You know, they can do whatever types of performances they like, and it's a pretty interesting crowd there. So 7 to 9 p.m., Guy House Interfaith Center. On Saturdays, the year-round Carbondale Community Farmer's Market, indoors for the winter, Saturdays from 9 until noon at the Carbondale Community High School, and that's the Carbondale Community Farmer's Market, um, located in the north entrance of the Carbondale Community High School. 
Yes, we also have on Saturday the Vigil for Peace. That's been going on since uh, 2001. We've been out there having a weekly vigil for peace and justice. That's Saturdays from noon to 1 p.m. on the Carbondale Town Square, the corner of Illinois and Maine. On Sunday, Carbondale Animal Rights Action Team. They meet the second and fourth Sunday of the month from 6.30 to 8. This group exists to bring people together who care about animals. As a group, they facilitate the sharing of ideas and create change in and around Carbondale. Events vary by meeting and include free films, screenings, readings and discussions, presentations, vegan potlucks, and that's Sunday, 6.30 to 8 p.m. Yes, and coming up on Monday, I mentioned Darwin Week. First event is on Monday at 7 p.m. at the John D. John C. Guyon Auditorium in Morris Library. It's a symposium on all creatures great and small. Guest speakers from SIU faculty and a panel discussion afterwards. At the Guy House Interface Center on Wednesday, questions of faith and reality. At questions, people from different beliefs and faiths come together and listen to each other's thoughts on the many questions of life. That's Wednesday at 5 p.m. Yes. And for the full list of Darwin Week happenings, they've got several going on. It's some good stuff. It's darwinweek.siu.edu. They should literally give the Darwin Awards to people around the area that have done bad things. <laughs> yeah. That could be a good way to get some attention for Darwin Week. <laughs> but it looks like we're out of time. So uh, glad we were able to connect with you across the ocean there. Using our advanced technology, which we eventually mastered. Yeah. Will do. We'll see you on the radio again next week. Yes, next week. In the meantime, stay warm, stay safe out there. <laughs> Take the blue pill. <laughs> yes.